This is 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90sandnoughties UK on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90s and Noughties UK. Hello and welcome to the new series of 90s and Noughties UK. And I have no idea what number series this is because I have not been keeping track. But uh, this is the third year that we've been running. We started in the middle of 2020. What a long time ago that feels. But I've made the decision um, in between times to make this the final series of the podcast. Now, it's not the end because I have plans for afterwards, but this will be the final series of episodes that I shall run. After that, mainly just Christmas, Easter, Halloween, that type of thing. Come back for the occasional one, maybe once every couple of months. Um, But this weekly format... Uh, will be the final time you know that I do this. I have loved um, doing this for the last three years. The people that I've spoken to, uh, the roundtables, the various conversations, um, all the different features that I've done over time. It's been a real eclectic mix of things that I've really enjoyed doing. But that isn't the end of it because... I've still got um, quite a number of episodes to go. So let's start this episode, this series, with the return of an old favourite. So once again, it's the return of the empty compartment. Um, It's been a little while since we did one of these, but we're back and I'm joined by Trisha Clark. Whereabouts are you? I am in Arkansas in the US. Excellent. Tell us about yourself. I am a married mom of two, got married in the 90s, very, uh, I don't know, an era near and dear to my heart. I am also a cooking coach and mealtime mentor. So I have an online business where I help women simplify mealtime through helping them create creative solutions for meal planning and cooking. Excellent. Usually what I would do is throw it over to you. But since this is the first time we have done this for a little while, I'll set the ball rolling. And since you are involved in food, I'm going to ask you, how different was food in the 90s? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think it was different in the 90s because it was really the emergence of Food Network. And I think that's when we really saw like the term foodies, right? There wasn't a lot of social media, but the term foodie started coming into account and you started picking up on things like Emeril Lagasse's BAM and, you know, Rachel Ray's EVOO and all of that. I feel like the language changed as cooking became more accessible. I think it also 
kind of brought forth, brought us out of some of that hand frozen pre-packaged food um, that I grew up on, right? Pizza, Doritos, SpaghettiOs in the 80s. And then in the 90s, we really started to see this emergence of celebrity chefs and home cooking. Definitely so. I mean, the one that that uh, hits true, I think, in the UK was in the late 90s, suddenly Jamie Oliver was everywhere, yeah. the naked chef. And I think it encouraged a lot of people to get in the kitchen. It, it really did. It's remarkable between when I think of there was Jamie Oliver. I'm trying to think of some of the first shows that I even watched on on Food Network, and I can't remember the same, some of the names of them now. And you had Emeril, and you had um, the early stages of Rachel Ray, and you had, was it Chef Paul Prudhomme? And then he started a cooking school in New Orleans. Like, you had all of these people come out of the woodwork making cooking really approachable for everybody. And I think that just really changed the game Um I, I really do. And that's that's really when I fell in. I didn't even learn how to cook until in the 90s um, and sort of taught myself and then sort of taught myself even more by watching Food Network. But did you ever resort to any of the uh, microwave staples? Because it feels like that was a lot more of a thing then. It was. I mean, I mean that's also when all the microwavably started seeing like the steamable bags of vegetables, I feel like was then you had all these convenience meals you could throw in the microwave. And absolutely. I mean, I think most of my cooking in the early 90s was all done in the microwave. I think the one that really jumps out to me in the early 90s was kids cuisine. I was a really picky eater um, as a kid and even as a young adult, but my nieces and nephews would come over and when I still lived with my mom, my mom kept this freezer of kids cuisine. Did you guys, do you have those in the UK? Did you have kids cuisine? Um, It was similar. Yeah, similar. Yeah, you know, shaped chicken nuggets, the weird textured brownies and the weird crinkle cut potatoes or whatever the flavor of the day was. But those were huge and they were like frozen crack for kids. I don't know what it was, even though the texture never turned out right or the taste. I don't know. I just remember my nieces and nephews absolutely loved them. And we had a freezer full. Um, And most of my food was microwaved, I would say, even as a young adult learning how to cook. I cooked a lot of things in the microwave, lived on a lot of soup, a lot of soup in the early 90s. Because they had things like cup of soup, et cetera, that were quite popular. Yeah, the the drinkable soup, which. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely a a thing. I think it's changed, though, because like like you said earlier about the celebrity chef thing, um, that really came to prominence because really before then, I mean, what I know about U.S. chefs is you had people like Julia Child that taught mm-hmm. you things and taught a lot of people things, but it was probably perhaps a little bit higher up in the cooking chain than what would later be known. Yeah, it's like she really... Um motivated or inspired a lot of women in that time. And then we got, you know, into the eighties and everybody's working more and you've got kids at home alone. And all of a sudden we made this huge transition to convenience food and then kind of started to make our way out of that sum in the nineties, you know, convenience food. I don't know. I, I don't believe it's the same in the UK, but convenience food in the U S is, you know, it's still a huge, huge industry. Um, and we seem to go in these incredible waves of let's cook and let's eat the frozen stuff. Let's throw it in the microwave. There is still very much a culture. I mean, we, we've got entire supermarkets that are dedicated even now to frozen food. It's just, yeah. I mean, and I don't mind the frozen vegetable, but there is something really 
lovely about putting together a meal in the kitchen and getting all those flavors and textures and uh, really when you can eat with all your senses. And, and I, I kind of think it's the chefs of the 90s that kind of kind of led us that way. Definitely. Well, now um, I'm going to throw it over to you to give us um, a subject or a question. So um, fire away. 90s movies. 90s movies. Yeah. Do, do you have any in mind? Well, my husband and I met at the premiere of Twister, like in our local area in the theater. So movies have always been a huge part of our life together and dating. But I feel like movies are another one of those things where rom-coms were huge in the 90s, right? Yeah. Now they don't seem to be as as much. But did you have a favorite movie in the 90s? I mean... Or it, movies? I mean, I... But I think my favorite movie of the '90s it has to be even to this day Toy Story. Um, that that movie just it's just timeless, and it doesn't matter how much technology moves on, uh, it still looks impressive as long as you don't look at anything else <laughs> while you're watching it. Um, it's still <laughs> impressive. The the textures could probably do with a fresh up, but the thing is, it was everything. It was the performances. I am only just starting to catch up on a lot of movies that came out in the 90s for whatever reason. I was very busy with with college and university over the last sort of 15 years. And so suddenly, suddenly I, I find pockets of time to, to look things up. And uh, the last 90s movie I watched would have been Air Force One with Harrison Ford. And to be honest, I don't really do action movies, but I did like that one, especially the 3D render of the aeroplane at the end. That was very special. The the thing that, you know, it looks like a plane the whole way through, and then suddenly at the end, it just, it's just this basic 3D render that was quite laughable as it fell into the sea that was obviously <laughs> fake. That was a, we just watched, I want to say we just watched that last week. I think we were just sitting in the living room channel surfing and that movie came up and we got sucked right back into it. Like <laughs> that is, I don't know what it, and we do love action movies, but that one was, I remember that one being really good. Uh, and now going back and watching it again, like seeing Harrison Ford in that element and then Gary Oldman, um, just seeing some of those actors, you know, early on and, and thinking back to when they were, when they were filmed. Um, but yeah. It's it was a good movie, but you do get to the end and you're like, hmm. Yeah. But it, it's Die Hard <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> it's Die Hard on a plane. I watched Die Hard for the first time at Christmas, I think, just after Christmas, because I'd never seen it before. And I loved it. I think my wife had seen it a lot of times and you know, and I watched it after everyone had gone to bed. And I was there the next day going, Die Hard was amazing. You know, and when somebody's seen it loads of times. I guess you see it through somebody else's eyes when they see it for the first time, you know, that refreshed thing. Yeah. But then I watched yeah. Air Force One and I was like, this is just die hard on a plane. Um, only Bruce Willis spent the entire movie saying catchphrases. Harrison Ford has one in a movie that doesn't really have catchphrases because when he pushes him off at the end, he says, get off my plane. <laughs> and it's like, this is really out of character. For the, for the rest of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, and you know, Bruce Willis is just a different kind of action hero anyway, I think. But the Die Hard movies are great. Now, we have this longstanding debate as to whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. 
what would you say? <laughs> well, it's one of those that's set at Christmas um, or around Christmas. So it depends, doesn't it? It depends. I mean, you, you look up some of the most famous movies ever released and they're classed as Christmas movies, but they were actually released in July. You know, mm. uh, we have songs that are like that. I feel like uh, Stop the Cavalry by Jonah Louie is one of those. It's got the word Christmas in it. Everyone associates it with Christmas, but it was released in, I don't know, February or some, <laughs> something. You know, it's, it's just something that catches on, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I suppose kind of like Baby It's Cold Outside was never meant to be a Christmas song. It was just, you know, sung about a scenario in the winter. And now it's like part of the Christmas playlist. Um, I'm trying to think of some others, but that's true. Yeah. But yeah, that's that seems to be the ongoing debate. But we do seem to watch it every year around Christmas time. And to be honest, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the sequels and seeing just how they mess it up. Um, because <laughs> there's too many sequels even now. Just too many. Some of them are entertaining. Some of them are just awful. Some of them are just awful. And yeah, good luck going getting through that series. It will be an interesting roller coaster ride for you. I can't wait to hear what you think. Well, I'll try and give my opinion on it. I'll try and watch it within the next five years. I mean, it, yeah, took, there you it, go. it took me <laughs> <What> a year. <laughs> yeah, it took me 32 years to see the first one. But uh, there we are. I mean, what do you have a favorite movie of the 90s? Oh, I have to think about that one. Pretty Woman was in the 80s. Well, 1990 here, so technically, technically it's a <laughs> 90s movie. Is it really? Yeah. Boy, the hair really screams 80s, though. Um, I'm going to fall back to Twister, and probably because it's where I met my husband, and it is another one. Then we went to Universal Studios, and there was a, you know, a whole ride for it. Um and we've watched it numerous times. My husband grew up in Oklahoma, so you know the whole tornado alley thing. So I would I would have to say Twister is probably one of them. It's really hard for me to pick favorite movies because I have so many. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. It's very difficult, isn't it, to to pick yeah. these things? Um, it's yeah, one, one it of really those is. you can have endless conversations about. You're right about rom coms. They don't make them anymore. And no. uh, we, we'll go on to the third question, which is just, uh, I think we'll say, best rom-com you've ever seen. Oh, boy. Best rom-com. Boy, specific to the 90s. Uh, just any, any, any? 90s, noughties. Oh. You know, it's hard for me to, I, I kind of classified as a rom-com ever after was one of my favorites. I love Drew Barrymore and Drew Grace Scott. I thought that was a really great movie. Um, and then Meg Ryan, You've Got Mail. That's a, and Tom Hanks. You just can't go wrong with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I mean, there were, there were lots to choose from because there was a point between, say, 97 and 2002, it was like every other movie was a rom com. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then 2000s, you had Sweet Home Alabama. Like there was just a whole run of them between Matthew McConaughey and, you know, Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. It's like you had your core rom-com actors and they just made numerous, you know, one right after the other. Which pretty much it, I mean, that, that's been Hollywood for the last 100 years, I think, because, you know, you go back a bit further, you've got people like Cary Grant that were making these things. And then, obviously, Hugh Grant in the 90s doing yeah. this stuff. There were, as you say, specific actors doing it. In this country, 
our version of Disney Plus has all the adult stuff in it too, all the mature stuff. And you'd be amazed at how many rom-coms they appear to own. And it's because we don't realize this really, but a majority of the rom-coms, I am sure, came out of the Disney company via Touchstone and 20th Century Fox, which they now own. So there's there's this huge smattering. It's like you're looking along the list and you're like, pretty woman, you know, that there's just it just goes on. And you think, was every studio doing this or was it just those two? Well, that's an interesting perspective that I I didn't know. But that would be the I mean, that would be the best channel ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder why they don't make them anymore, right? Even looking at most movies, it's just a formula, right? You've got the meat cute, and then you've got the whole climatic, you know, the climax of the movie, and then something falls apart, and we go back down, we come together at the end. Like, I'm curious why they can't seem to recreate that magic now that they could in the 90s and the early 2000s. I think maybe because it's been done. And uh, I think the closest movie I've seen to that recently was a film called Prom Pact, and it, it's a Disney Channel movie. And I I sat with my wife watching it and I said, I think the 20th Century Fox purchase has rubbed off on them because that's what it felt like. It felt like one of those late 90s, early 2000s things with all of the the things in it. It's weird, actually, that they don't make them anymore, but I think it's just it's just burnout and it will come round as everything does. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's funny, we were talking about rom-coms. I can't think of a single rom-com right now. <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> Isn't it funny when you, get, when you get asked a question, all of a sudden you're put on the spot and you're like, oh, um, now I can't think of any. It just blurs, doesn't it? Because they, they tend to blur, and maybe that's why they don't make them anymore. Um, remind us of um, your business. So my business is called Trisha's Bites of Life. Um, I'm a cooking coach and mealtime mentor for busy women. Um, helping them create and build meal planning and cooking habits that are fun, really bringing back the joy into cooking because I truly believe that when we break down all the crap that stresses us out, we bring a different energy to the table, which creates connection and conversation. And to me, that's really what a shared meal is, is all about. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much once again to Trisha Clark for appearing on this edition of The Empty Compartment. There's still more episodes to come in this series. Um, It's great to be back doing it once again. If you'd like to be on one of the special editions that uh, might go out at Christmas or New Year, Easter perhaps, then please do get in contact on Twitter. Lastly, on this edition of 90s and Noughties UK, I'd like to pay tribute to an actress who passed away in the last week, who had a huge hand in one of the big British comedy uh, successes of the 90s, which continues uh, in reruns and in influence to this day. I was very sad to read in the last week or so that actress Doreen Mantle has passed away at the age of 97. 
She will be best known to people of my generation as Mrs. Jean Warboys in the David Renwick sitcom One Foot in the Grave, starring Richard Wilson and Annette Crosby, which ran between 1990 and 2000. One Foot in the Grave was one of those shows where it looked really cosy on the on the surface, but underneath there was something darker, grittier, more surreal. And Gene Warboys was one of those characters that helped to kind of um, make that a reality. The bizarre situations that she'd find herself in, the waxwork that she had made, some of the images that come up in my mind are those which involve um, Doreen Mantle's character. She was Margaret's friend in that show, and you could never quite tell whether Victor was also her friend or whether he just kind of, you know, put up with her. But I think there was definitely some appreciation there and some moments definitely gave you that. And that's the beauty of that sitcom, is that it could make you laugh, it could make you cringe, and it could also make you cry. And Doreen Mantle is a huge part of that. But those who have followed her career for decades will know that she had an established career long before One Foot in the Grave. She was awarded the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for her performance in Death of a Salesman on stage. And she has uh, extensive work in radio and, of course, television. She was one of those faces who turned up on television quite a lot. Just looking down at her filmography here, uh, we go from Emergency Ward 10 to things like Lovejoy, Peak Practice, Our Friends in the North, Chalk, Doctors, Where the Heart Is, The Bill, Doc Martin, Holby City, um, so many of these things. Dirk Gently, Jonathan Creek, Coronation Street, My Family, Father Brown, most recently. And she did also feature in a documentary on Channel 5 recently called One Foot in the Grave, 30 Years of Laughs. And I'm glad uh, that she got to tell her story um, for many years after that show ended because um, just a name check a few here one foot in the podcast talked to her a few years ago as did distinct nostalgia which is this podcast which covers classic television among other things I can admit that I was quite emotional when I saw the news of her passing because I grew up watching One Foot in the Grave over and over and over again with my family and I probably wasn't supposed to because occasionally, you know, they'd go off into non-kid friendly territory but most of the time it was this funny, witty, kind of on-edge thing that I absolutely adored and like I say, um, Mrs. Warboys was part of it but I'm sure many people will feel like this from my generation. If you've grown up watching her, you find out about her passing 
and just a little bit of your childhood kind of slips away ever so slightly. But the thing is, um, she's going to live on through that show. I'm planning at some point to rewatch that show because every time I, I watch it, I find something new. You know, this rewatch, I'll probably find I relate to Mrs. Warboys even more because I'm a tiny bit older than the last time that I watched it. I mean, I'm at a loss at what to say, really. Um, just rest in peace, Doreen. And thank you for making us laugh, making us cry, and being a familiar face that we can see in all these different productions that I've mentioned and so many more. Your contribution to the stage and to my beloved medium of radio as well. I'm sure I shall hear your voice and see your face for many years to come. So on that sombre note, I'm not going to end with the traditional um, end sequence. I'm just going to say thank you so much for listening to this edition of 90s and Noughties UK. See you next time. <laughs>